Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. Good day to you. This is Brad Zockel, the director of the Zulon International Bible Institute, and for this podcast, I'm going to start here and continue in the next podcast, reading directly from book number two in our Heaven is Home book series. This book is titled, Heaven, the Adventure Begins. We published this last year, and we have seen just a real, real encouraging response to the many chapters which deal with the questions about heaven and the biblical response to them. And I'm going to start with the introduction and then move right on in, and during the time, read as many chapters as I can, and then in our future podcast, read completely through the book. Introduction. In this second book of our Heaven is Home series, we'll see that the Christian's entry into the eternal presence of God is the beginning of the greatest adventure ever experienced. My father began his adventure at the earthly age of 93. In the first week that I was working on the manuscript for this book, I was awakened just before six in the morning to hear my sister Gwen informing me that Dad had died in his sleep. Glenn Albert Zockel passed from this life and entered into the heavenly realms at approximately 5.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. His passing ended a years-long battle with Alzheimer's disease in which he had no recollection of any of his children nor of his whereabouts. He was barely responsive in the final days here. His life on earth ended quietly, but his adventure in heaven has just begun. I pondered over the fact that Dad was a person who never sat still. He was a Korean War veteran, a gifted musician who shared the stage with many celebrities, and an award-winning secondary school band instructor. No achievements of his, however, are anywhere near the amazement and wonder of what he began experiencing the moment he stepped into God's kingdom. What a change we saw in his life. Although he had abandoned our family in our childhood years in order to follow his own career as well as a mistress, Dad started to come back into our adult lives and, after the course of a few years, was open to hearing the gospel. God worked in his life, and the response was wonderful, as Dad accepted Christ as his Savior when he was 66 years of age. Each Zockel sibling had shared the gospel with Dad through the years. We had been sowing seeds for decades, and it was when my younger brother Brian once again presented the clear-cut plan of salvation at a kitchen table one evening that Dad's heart opened up to accepting Jesus Christ as his Savior. Dad spent his final years barely able to shuffle around, depending on a heart pacemaker and vigilant care from the staff of a fine medical facility. After watching his body and mind deteriorate at an alarming rate, I find it both comforting and intriguing to think that Dad has more energy now than he ever has had during his life on earth. Is he running? Laughing? Feasting? Or has he loved to do the most, telling stories? What kind of an adventure is Dad enjoying right now? What does Dad have prepared for him and other believers of all ages and locales? Within recent years, I have had five family members enter into the portals of heaven. My oldest brother, Bruce, my mother, Catherine, my father, Glenn, and my in-laws, Robert and Marlene Levesey. I know that they are in vivid celebration in heaven, as Hebrews 12, 23 attests. They are with God, and 
Though without the resurrection body just yet, they enjoy the presence of the Father within a perfect environment. This second book of the Heaven is Home series will attempt to answer more questions about the adventure to come. The Bible offers some exciting and comforting news to the Christian about the new celestial home promised to us. Still, I warn you, Bible scholars will freely tell you that after all of the research is complete and all of the studying ceases, we must admit that we have barely scratched the surface of the knowledge of the eternal adventure to come. Still, what is revealed to us is simply amazing. Possibly my most enjoyable verse is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, which is so eloquently presented in the King James Version. Eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And just as exciting as verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. It is with this great blessing of discovery that I present the second book in our Heaven is Home series. For the Christian, death is not the ending. Really, the adventure has just begun. Chapter 1 What will God be like in heaven? Adventure's definition is summed up by most dictionaries as being an unusual, exciting activity. Merriam-Webster's dictionary explains it as a remarkable experience. Well, that fits right in what, uh, into what I keep studying about heaven. It's going to be a remarkable, totally new experience. And across that wonderful new horizon will be the magnificent and glorious throne, and the one seated on it will be the very God of the universe. But what will he be like? How will he greet us? Will he be scary to look at? It could be that the thought of him is so intimidating that he is not part of the average Christian's heavenly conversation. I find that extremely bothersome. It's quite puzzling that many Christians can hold hours-long discussions about heaven and really never get around to talking about God at all. I've attended church meetings and adult Bible studies where I didn't hear one mention of God the Father or of Jesus the Savior. As I said, I find it perplexing. It seems like we're doing what I might call perimeter talking, that is, discussing the boundaries of the subject but never really getting into the real property, you know, the heart and soul of the whole truth. Let me put it another way, in the form of a little story. Let's go back to your college years, particularly those financially lean semesters when you were holding down a job, and maybe two, trying to make ends meet in order to pay for your tuition, room, and board. Let's put the setting back in your hometown during the Christmas break from studies, and Let's make the main character be gentle and much-loved, a widow who lives at the outskirts of the community in a delightful, homey little cottage. She notices that you're just getting by in order to pay your bills, and in her own way, she wants to help you by giving you a little bit of enjoyment for the holidays. Let's imagine that, along with a group of your closest friends, the dear little lady has invited you to a cozy Christmas Day breakfast. Although not wealthy, the w widow has dug into her savings, and laid out a welcoming holiday breakfast for you and your friends, spread with holiday cheer on a huge fireside country table groaning with pancakes, sausages, omelets, muffins, and other goodies. She greets you at the door and guides you along this buffet where you happily load your plate, then seat yourself in comfort at the head of the dining room table. As you dig in, the widow serves you and others oversized mugs of cocoa topped with heaps of whipped cream. What a feast! The room is filled with cheer. You enjoy this fantastic meal amidst laughter and storytelling, but the fun has only started. As the plates are emptied, the widow gently takes you by the hand and sits you down to a pile of Christmas presents. 
You note the names on the labels and you begin giving and receiving gifts from everybody in the room. Each of your friends is involved in the merriment, that is, except for the host of the whole event. She sits to one side of the room, smiling but relatively quiet, mainly because everyone ignores her. Throughout the whole festivity, people cheerfully open gifts and shout jokes to each other. Nobody bothers to talk to this little lady. After a while, the fun is over. Hugs and laughter all around with promises to meet each other again soon. Everyone pulls on their overcoats and scarves, waving goodbye as they cross the front porch. And nobody has noticed that the dear lady received not one gift, nor even one word of thanks from anyone. That's a sad story, isn't it? I'm glad it's fiction, but I told it in order to make a point. I'm afraid that little tale is a parallel to many a Christian's interest in heaven. Let's see what I get. I want to make sure I'm completely happy. Little or no mention of the glory of God or of his eternal love. Is that the way we treat our Heavenly Father when we discuss the beautiful subject of heaven? Too many believers do just that. Let's adjust our thinking. Let's look at the benevolent Yahweh and rejoice. It should be the first and foremost truth in the heart of the believer that God is the majestic center of this eternal paradise promised to the believer. Heaven is his home, and the residents of the eternal estate are his family. He is the Father, as Jesus refers to him in over 160 places in the Gospels. He is the loving paternal figure in the Luke 15 account of the prodigal son. And here's a shocker. Did you know that God's joy in seeing the believers is so great that Zephaniah 3 verse 17 reveals that he will actually sing and joy over us? And what a home he's prepared for the believer. One of the most satisfying things I can do during the course of the year is work on our farmhouse here in what is to refer to as upcountry South Carolina. I enjoy finding new ways to make our home more comfortable for my wife and my family, whether it be in adding insulation to the outside walls or fixing a leaky sink or even just buying a new lamp or birdhouse. It's deeply gratifying in having a fun and safe homestead with everybody content and happy. In the same way I see the scriptures hinting of the joy God has in creating the new Jerusalem as our permanent residence. The Bible shows numerous passages that affirm a God who openly shows his joy for those who choose him, delightfully providing contentment and enjoyment. Take Zephaniah 3.17, for example. It tells us that Yahweh will rejoice over the believers with gladness and that he will delight in you with singing. Okay, you might reply, I can agree to Yahweh's magnificent presence in heaven, but when we are with him, what will he be like? Let's take a look at what the Bible says. First, I see that God is not a far-off deity. He wants a family atmosphere in heaven. I feel comfortable in saying, with great respect, that God is the blessed head of his household. His heavenly home, yes, home, will be astounding. Consider the heart-quickening passage in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. That proclaims, there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Just as I give my attention to fixing a broken railing or a loose floorboard in order to provide a safe household for my family, our Father has created a household of safety, security, and care. Even above that, the very same verse informs the Christian that this magnificent, omnipotent God 
will become so personal as to wipe away every tear from our eye. I remember how my mom would take care of us even after my father left us. She doubled her efforts to provide a happy home. Mom was the consummate host of our little country house, despite the fact that we were basically poverty-stricken. In addition to providing a hearty meal for the family and any friends who happened to wander in at dinner time, Mom had this funny habit of always being within sight of us. Now, I wouldn't say that it was a constant hovering, but she was always in the vicinity with that mom radar, making sure that every one of us Zockel children was content and cared for. When I remember my mom's watch care in those days, I am reminded that the scripture tells us of our Heavenly Father doing the very same thing in our heavenly home. He'll be nearby in a comforting closeness that exceeds any parental love here on earth. Revelation 21 verse 3 proclaims that God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people's and God himself will be with them and will be their God. This is one of the beautiful revelations of his love, causing one of my students to exclaim, that's pretty comforting. It takes away a lot of the fear I had about death. I hardly agree. 1 John 4 verse 18 reminds us that perfect love casts out all fear. This God love is a perfect love. Why should I fear the future? Second, I've discovered that God will be teaching us. I've heard a few preachers exclaim that we will have perfect knowledge in heaven, knowing everything immediately, but I must respectfully disagree, for only God is omniscient. However, with our resurrected bodies, including our new capacity for eternal thinking, we'll be in a new condition of learning as we've never experienced before. Ephesians 1.10 informs us that in heaven, God's plan is in bringing everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Bible scholars note that this passage's phrasing is similar to the bringing together of the accountant's financial columns in a final tally at the top of the page. Unlike my Walmart or Aldi receipt, which has the sum total at the bottom, the business receipt would put the total at the top in those days, and then list the items underneath the total in order to explain how the accountant came to that conclusion. So will it be in heaven? We're going to see the overall plan and then start getting answers to the questions we've had on earth. Our many queries about the curious turns in our life, for good or bad, will be brought to an explanation in the light of God's overall plan for mankind. The secular expression butterfly effect claims that everything is interconnected no matter how small, and that even the simplest acts can turn history into a different direction. God's plan for mankind would exceed the most generous definition of the butterfly effect. In view of the Heavenly Father's plan, rather than call it an effect, you would call it a cause. In this case, it would be appropriate to call the Ephesians 1 passage the explanation of the Creator cause, or perhaps the purpose of the Father. Whatever the title we wish to give it, we can be assured that the collective interconnection of God's universal plan will be explained, from the smallest act of Christian kindness to the cataclysmic events that shook nations. The Ephesians 1 passage gives us a hint that we will be able to learn of the reasons behind the world's and our activities, which sometimes seem confusing and even hurtful. We'll be able to learn and understand with resurrected minds that can be more powerfully understand the things of God. Third, 
I enjoy the Bible's promise that God will give us a heavenly respite from the weariness of the world. What a great promise we find in Revelation 14.13, that we will rest from the earthly labors that will wear us down. And they do wear us down, don't they? This passage is not suggesting, though, that living in heaven is living in solemnity and somberness. I truly believe that some folks think that heaven will be like a sort of a celestial library where we might move about and learn here and there, and but that mostly we will be padding quietly across a thick carpet of inactivity, being shushed lest we show any impiety. That's just not the reality of the biblical heaven. There will be feasting, Matthew 8, 11, and energetic activity, Revelation 7, 15 says that, laughter, as we see in Luke chapter 6 and verse 21, rewards, Luke chapter 6 and verse 23, and Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12, and friendships, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19 tells us that. This is just to name a few of the many events and activities of heaven. In addition to all of this celestial action, we're reminded in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 3 that the curse is gone. There is no sin in heaven. The excitement of God and his welcoming love is found in Zephaniah 3 verse 17, declaring that the Lord himself will sing over us in heaven. With the enthusiasm of the Father in the Luke 15 story about the prodigal son, God the Father will greet us with affection that exceeds anything we have experienced here on earth. The God this God, this God of heaven, is a welcoming God. He is a rewarding God. He is a God who rejoices in seeing you that you have made a free will decision to join his family through salvation in Jesus Christ, and he's going to guarantee that you'll be happy that you made that decision. That was chapter one of our book, The Heaven is Home, uh, the Heaven, the Adventure Begins, the Heaven is Home series, and I'll continue on in the future podcast and walk right through the different chapters on the questions we have about heaven. Thank you so much. This is Brad Zockel with our Heaven is Home ministry. The Heaven Tour is our channel on YouTube, and you're more than welcome. I invite you to take a look at it. If you'd like to know more about us, please write me at brad at theheaventour.org. Thank you so much. Lord willing, we'll talk soon. Thanks for joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's X-U-L-O-N.org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.